You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. Welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markstone. I'm the host of the show. No matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, welcome to the show. I hope that you enjoy it. And speaking of enjoyment, Saints fans finally have something to be excited and, and happy about. Um, a, a good performance at the weekend, um, three points, which was important, two goals, one from Danny Ings, uh, one from a, a very well put together counterattack, um, some budding partnerships all over the pitch, uh, moving on to the third round of the Carabao Cup. I think all of those things are fantastic. And I think all of those things give us uh, a reason to kind of be positive for the first time in a long time. And and I was trying to think back to the last time I was really excited about about something at the club, and I think you know maybe the transfer window and and picking up Danny Ings on deadline day, and also just uh, you know getting uh, other players in that I thought would really help the squad. That was exciting. But thinking back to a game, I don't know. Swansea was more just kind of relief, wasn't really excitement. Um, but this was genuine excitement. This was uh, Saturday. I was very very happy, and uh, as Simon Peach tweeted, this is only really the third weekend in 2018 where I could actually be excited. Uh, I could be happy about the performance and about the result where it all goes the, it all goes the same way. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was great. So this week I'm joined by Alex Hammond. He's been on the show before he is at St. Hammond. He writes, he does media stuff. He is on the media team at Eastleigh FC. So if anybody supports Eastleigh FC, um, Alex is part of the team that's doing the match reports and the photography and the, the end game stuff. So we'll talk a little bit about that and his role there. Um, as well as kind of diving into the win over Crystal Palace for the most part. Um, and yeah, that, that kind of is what this episode is focused on. Um, next week's episode will be focused on the Southampton Women's Football Club. It is the international break, uh, but more importantly, um, I had the opportunity to speak with uh, one, of their, one of the strikers, Emma Pinner, and uh, this weekend worked and it'll be, out, it'll be out for next week's show. So uh, I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, there's a little bit more of, of real life happening in the background of that episode. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to clean it up, but Emma was great in putting up with me kind of uh, being lost and frustrated and um, uh, honestly uh, cursing way, way more uh, than I ever should in the presence of anyone, let alone um, a podcast guest. Um, and my, if my mom saw me talking or heard me talking that way in front of um, uh, a woman, she would be very upset with me. Um, so mom, if you're going to listen to that episode, I, I love you. Sorry. Mostly. Yeah. I think we're good. We're fine. We're, yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Cause I'm getting, I'm getting nervous now. Um, cause I feel like my mom's going to be mad at me and I don't like that. But anyway, uh, this week's show, uh, Alex and I talk mostly, uh, about wins and about positive things, but, um, you know, there are still things we need to work on and, uh, and I don't think that's a negative thing either. I think that is part of, of life and, and striving to get better and, and the team should always be pushing to get better. Uh, that's what we want in the transfer window. That's what we want on the pitch. Um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So anyway, let's jump ahead now to the interview with Alex Hammond. Once again, he's on Twitter at St. Hammond. Uh, you can follow him along there and I will speak to you at the end of the show. I'd like to welcome back to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Alex Hammond. You can find him on Twitter at St. Hammond. Uh, and we're here to talk about uh, the two most recent victories that Saints have had. Maybe a, a better spot to be in the season. Uh, nice nice to talk about wins always. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, writing and work and, and all that stuff. But Alex, it's just nice to have you back on the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. And thank you for having me once again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, 
like I said, this, this might be a nice place to talk because, uh, up until now we've been talking about victories and and looking for positives. And, uh, I'm not going to pretend like yesterday was all good because that's never how it is. There's always things you can work on, but, um, just, just before we get too deep into it, like, how are you feeling right now, given that we won yesterday and also earlier in the week? Um, massive confidence boost for the players, um, relief as well for the fans. Um, hopefully this is the, uh, pendulum start to get a pendulum rocking for the season so that we don't have um, another season like the last and hopefully we can kick on. Absolutely. And, you know, there is lots to talk about and we will touch briefly uh, on the Carabao Cup just because, you know, that really was the first win and, and, and it wasn't televised here in the States and it was a midday games. I, I always complain are difficult to watch and I shouldn't really complain. But, um, you know, I, I did see the highlight. I got to see, you know, Redmond, um, you know, create a little bit of space and put the cross in and, and Charlie Austin score. And, you know, I just on, on that note, I think just getting the win um, didn't matter uh, how it happened. Just getting over the line, getting that win, um, you know, Gunn made some good saves. I think I think that do you think that played into into yesterday at all? Um, I mean, the win in general would have been huge because, you know, we were without a win uh, yet. So uh, that was confidence for them. Um, Austin, on a personal note for his first goal, um, for his goal as well. Although he missed the penalty yesterday, but that doesn't really matter as much as I thought it did at the time. Um, but no, I mean, a cup run in general is always good for players. Um, gives us a chance to um, put out players on the pitch that we wouldn't might not put out during a league game. So Gunn, for example, um, had a great game. But yeah, I think it was more confidence-based more than anything. Um, and hopefully we can kick on. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we get into that, though, let's, let's talk... Uh... Let's talk about you, um, because I think things have changed a little bit since since last time we spoke. Um, I know you're in university, but you're on break. We were talking about this before we started recording. You're on break for what seems like forever to me as a as an American school teacher. But um, w- what are you doing to kind of fill up your time between you know school semesters and and between watching Saints and all that stuff? I went on an actual holiday for a few weeks in France, um, then came back, got a job um, working in central London at a restaurant. And um, also more sports-based, I got a job working for um, Eastleigh Football Club, which the so the media team is run by students, so second years and third years. Um, we do things like filming for BT Sport. We do we run their social media page. We do match reporting. We do data for um, things like Soccer Saturday or whatever, and um, photography. And recently, I've been taking up the um, photography role. I've also done match report. But yeah, it's um, it's uh, it was a very, it's been a very San Antonesque season for Eastleigh as well. So uh, not too much, not too many changes there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, when you you talk about doing match reports and stuff, when when you're doing that, like when I listen to like some of the guys, maybe from the Totally Football Show or from Football Weekly, when they talk about it, they you you tend to write that report all the way through, and then sometimes the late goal comes, and you just have to throw it all away and start over, you know, because you have to tell some sort of story there. You know, do you you realize that do you find that happening to you, or, or are you are you enjoying that, or what's like maybe the most frustrating part? Um, so this season, it's not happened too much. First game of the season, I did the match report for. It was against, um, I think it was against Solihull Moors, and nothing happened all game. There were bouts of you know excitement, and then there would be twenty minutes of nothing. So at halftime, I would write what happened in the first half, and then towards the end of the game, I would sort of think about what my headline would be. And so I think it was the 77th minute Eastley scored a penalty and I was okay, Eastley about to get their first one of the season. And then as I was writing that, 82nd minute, Solihull go and equalize, make it one all. And then 84th minute, they go and score a winner. So, you know, it had, I had to change my perspective completely. And also because the goals were slightly down to a bit of defensive uh, or a lack of defensive discipline, because I'm writing for Eastley's website, website, I can't be too judgmental. So, yeah. Um, so there's, there's that side as well. But no, it's um, it's a fun experience. I mean, it's great, you know, afterwards as well, interviewing the manager, um, who's a real character. Um, and then also taking photos of players, you know, getting to know them, um, talking to them. You know, it's if you, it feels like a real sort of family club and everyone feels really close. Now, what what like level or division are easily playing in that they, you know, you're even... You're, you're reporting for BT Sport and doing things like that, but what you know, where where do they rank in kind of the the pyramid of uh, of English football? So at the moment, they're in um, National League 
uh, it's a, it's one off league two, so it's one off professional leagues. But um, but yeah, they're at the moment. I think they're 17th in that league out of 24 teams. So um, hoping that the season can only get better from here. Yeah, yeah. What what's uh what's relegation look like in that at that level? Is it is it the bottom three or they they take more down than that? I think it is the bottom three. So now they seem to they seem to be all right, but they're having a lot of um, problems with um injuries and things like that trying to get a few players in right now but um no hopefully um hopefully things do get better because they do play well and sometimes they they do get a bit unlucky with um refereeing decisions because down that down that sort of spectrum of the pyramid referees are a little bit um uh questionable per se yeah one of Um, the things i've noticed is when you tend to see those uh you know, videos of some of those lower league. And I don't, I mean, I don't mean that in a disrespectful manner at all, but like you look down there and some of the tackles that go in are brutal, you know, and things like that. And, and that would never fly in the premier league. We talk about the premier league being physical, but um, you know, that's why you look at a guy like Jamie Vardy, you had to play his way all the way up through there, you know, and he's willing to just, you know, stick it out and, and also, you know, look reckless at times because, that that's allowed when you're down there, I guess. And yeah, it's also it's also because a lot of them have been most some of them have been ex professionals at sort of championship, league one sort of level. So they they go in hard. And also, it's not it's not just during the game. It's also during. I mean, I think this week Eastley have played three games in eight days. So the physic the physical demands of non league of sort of the lower tiers of football, I think, are much higher than Premier League. Because Premier League, you play once a week, right? Even though maybe the actual game might be a bit tougher. But yeah, um, non league. Um, yeah, it's definitely very, very physical. And some of the tackles that I've seen, I've been like, wow. Like, if I saw that in the Premier League, I don't think, you know, don't think he'd stay on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, you talk about the the players being ex professionals. Some of them, like, do these guys have day jobs? Are they working elsewhere and then and showing up to training at night and then playing, or are they are they you know actually somewhat being paid for for their their to, to play? I guess. I'm not too sure. Um, I haven't got an opportunity to ask that yet, but, I'm, um, but I think they do train regularly and play on the day and obviously do get, do get paid maybe not as much as, you know, in higher tiers, but they probably do. Um, but in terms of day jobs, I'm not too sure what their actual lifestyle is like, but maybe I'll have to get around to asking somebody. They have a French player who's actually well, uh, from the sort of area that we're from as well, so maybe I'll get a chance to ask him. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, I mean, it sounds it sounds awesome, and and if people wanted to go and and see the team, if they're if you're, I mean, it's it's near Southampton, uh, I think. I, I'm I'm relatively familiar, but I'm not going to pretend like I know exactly where it is. Um, you know, uh, where where could they find information on the team if they wanted to go watch the team, maybe uh, play or, or or anything like that? Yeah, so Eastley have um they have a website just um Eastley FC. Um, getting there is fairly easy from Southampton. It's two stops away. Um, driving as well is about 20 minutes match day parking available for five pounds for the day but yeah it's it's fairly accessible i mean it, when you get to the station you might you need to walk about 10 15 minutes but um but yeah it's definitely it's it's quite easy to get to i would say from southampton uh-huh. and it's definitely worth the watch it's very entertaining and and on the right day uh walking around the south coast is not bad you know uh, when we were there we 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 managed to to find it on a, a relatively sunny. It was windy, but it was uh, it was sunny, and uh, walking around town was was fantastic. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Anyway, do you want to move on and talk a little bit about about Southampton, and and we'll kind of look ahead and see what's going on. Sure, but just before we do that, it's just a little fun story yeah. of the last game I worked at, at Eastleigh. Um, I was doing photography on on the pitch during the warm ups, and um, I was walking from one side of the pitch to the other. And the ball come the ball came towards me and the player's quite close so I just tapped the ball towards the player and he um and as I'm walking one step forward I notice the ball goes through my legs as he nutmegs me as I'm walking <laughs> just he so that was, even though you returned the ball you were being nice you kicked the ball back to him and yeah. you decided now I'm just going to make you make it <sighs> didn't think he needed to do that in front of everyone but that's all right did he like did he at least like pat you on the shoulder as you walked by and like laugh or did he just not talk to you he shrugged his shoulders and was like, "Yeah, I had to do it." <laughs> oh, that's that's awful. It's all it's all in good, all in good spirit. All yeah, good absolutely, spirit. absolutely. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And and if I can ask, like, you know, which aspect do you do you enjoy the photography aspect, or do you like do you like the writing aspect of it, or what what is it that you that you find to be most enjoyable? 
Um, I just I enjoy just being part of the football club in general because they because at the end of match reports they credit it and I wrote it and but I think I enjoy photography more because I feel more of a part of it because I'm and it's also it's just building up as a journalist it's just building up the portfolio you know write match write uh, write match reports take photos do Twitter do data if I can do as much as I can um, then it just shows that I can do many things in in that sort of area so yeah but um. I, I like photography in general, so doing sports photography, that's just a bonus. All right, all right. Sounds good. Um, well, maybe one day you can uh, get up there with uh, Matt, Matt Watson, who does the, the, the Saints photography and all that stuff that uh, so many people use on, on Twitter, and, and you kind of see it all over Instagram yeah. and stuff as well. So um, Let's hope so. All right, well, let, let's briefly talk about the Carabao Cup uh, match. It, my, I think we said it wasn't... Um, it wasn't televised here, but it, it wasn't really, I don't know if there's a bunch of drama in it, if it was kind of lackluster for the most part, but you know, we, I think we, we spoke about Angus Gunn and I'll say we, we talked for about five or six minutes before. And I think we talked about this, but then we got cut off. So I'm, we're, I'm not exactly sure where that, where that happened. So if we, we already covered this, I apologize and I'll cut it out in the, in the editing. But um, you know, we, we looked at the, at the victory. Um, it is a victory. We got a late goal. Is is that really what matters coming out of that? Is just progressing to the next round and giving guys a, an opportunity to to play that might not make the the Premier League team on the on the on the on a match day? Yeah, sure. I think that's the main purpose of the cup is just to give players a chance who don't play regularly. The likes of Gunn um, is one of them, and he made a cracking save during the game. Um, but I think progressing as well. I think Salanta made ten changes. Um, El Yunusi was the only one who stayed in. Um, but I think progressing as well is. It's good for the confidence of the players. Getting the win, um, good for the confidence as well. Um, but yeah, just giving players a chance to play, I guess, is the main reason. And I mean, we we sent so many players out on loan, uh, but a lot of them were under twenty three players and guys that were going to be on the fringes of of the team and probably not get a whole lot of minutes. But you look at um, you know you look at last year where the Saints were really building i guess the year before saints were really building to to have a, a run in europe you know you you have to have a squad that is uh, of a significant size to be able to to do that you have to have depth and things like that um yeah. and you know you do that you get knocked out early you don't make it out of the group stages and then the following year you don't qualify at all and you're left with this kind of this this plethora of, of players that all need minutes and when they don't get minutes mm -hmm. people get frustrated uh you know you, you wind up having to load a salary just rotting in the reserves or playing under 23 football and things like that um so i think now with some of the guys that are out on loan um whether they be first team guys like Buffal and, and Carrillo who just didn't have a place in the team uh or, or some of the younger guys who have gone out um you know do you think that's a positive for for the club or do you think that um it it just shows that maybe we, we spent some money in the wrong places and, and now we are kind of stuck with it. Um, well, no, I think loaning out players like Buffal and Carrillo were good decisions. Buffal for the attitude problems and Carrillo for the fact that he just wasn't very as good as we you know hoped he would be. It didn't quite work out for him. But there are players like Sims who I look at and I thought he could have, he could have a go. He, he Because last season he came on, made an impact, wasn't. He made a few impacts during the game. I thought he could have been someone who could have been on the subs bench regularly um, to come on. Um, but no, players like Reed, players like McQueen, um, loans for them will only do them good, even though they've been on loan for on loan for multiple occasions. Um, I think not getting rid of Forster in terms of finance for the club, that's a bad, very poor, because I think he's one of the highest uh, earning players at the club and he's not even in a matchday squad. And I don't think he will be unless Gunn or McCarthy get injured. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, when we look at, you know, two, three seasons ago under Koeman, um, we had players like Target and Ward-Prowse featuring regularly, and then you had the Queen as well featuring regularly. Um, the, t the academy is um, it is still there, and the players are there um, developing well. I think there are some very good ones for the future. There was one who we fended who um, chose Southampton over the likes of Bayern, Madrid, Juventus, whatnot. Um, so yeah, if we can develop them like we know that we have and we know that we can, um, I think the future is bright. You know, I think, I think it's good. I think there's, there's gotta be a, a step up between sometimes between under 23s and, and actually, you know, getting into the premier league. And, and sometimes I think the championship, 
uh, for a lot of those guys will be it, especially if they can get significant minutes and some, some of them are going to go down and be in, in a sort of relegation scrap and that, that, that might do them some good as well. Uh, and other guys are going to go play in kind of high powered teams who are going to have the ball and that if they play midfield, they're going to be on the ball a lot and that'll be, that'll be good for them as well. So hopefully it's all, mm-hmm. it all works out. And, you know, I think as much as we want it to, it won't work out for everybody and that's just kind of how it goes, but uh, we, yeah. we, will, we will see. Um, so, so we move on, we'll play, uh, you know, we'll play in the next round of the cup. And I think we got Everton away, which, uh, a lot of people were tweeting that, that this is where it ends. Cause we can't win there, but we'll, we'll just leave that for another day. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, it's not, it's not what's, uh, I, I don't think that's important right now. I think what's important right now is, is kind of looking at, you know, maybe our last two premier league games and, uh, especially, uh, yesterday against crystal palace. And, and the fact that we, mm-hmm. we named an unchanged lineup going in, uh, from last week against Everton to, to this week. And, um, we managed to to pull it off this week, which I thought was good. Yeah, before the game, I was quite skeptical because you know Selhurst Park is a very tough place to go for every team. Um, you know, even Man City last season struggled there. Um, but I think the main factor was the fact that Wilfred Zaha was not in was not available to them because um, statistically, um, before yesterday they'd played eleven without Zaha and they didn't earn a point. If, when he doesn't play, they don't get points. Um, so now that, that, that statistic is extended to 12. But, you know, I think huge credit to um, McCarthy yesterday. Pulled off some stunning saves. Um, we have to thank Ben Teke as well for not quite being on target um, with his shots. The midfield as well, Hojbjerg and Lamina, they're forming a really good partnership right now. El Yunusi as well, finding some more confidence. Um, Ings, he's been an incredible signing um, with that. I think that instinct, that instinct that you know Austin or Long um, wouldn't have, Ings has it. But yeah, I think the team is really starting to gel now, and it's looking really, really positive. Yeah, and and I think one of the things that we've talked about is it, it wasn't clear that Mark Hughes knew what his best lineup was, and you know we played all or most of preseason. Uh, with the with with the back three, I guess, or a back five, mm-hmm. um, and then we moved away from it almost immediately. And and to me, that was a concern because you know you how do you how do you go through all preseason and not realize like hey we need to work on something else and and or not stick with it for uh, you know at least a, a couple of games and and kind of you know give the guys a chance to to do it. But uh, credit to Mark Hughes, I think he's made the right decision by just abandoning it completely and and. Uh, and, and and recognizing this as as his, as his team and in the formation that works best for the players we have, um, you know, the biggest thing for me is you know we we have a guy uh, an Armstrong that doesn't fit the system. Uh, he mm-hmm. he doesn't fit necessarily in a four four two very well, uh, and I don't even think he was on the bench yesterday um, mm. at, at all. Which which you know is 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 what happens sometimes. You can't necessarily he's not he's maybe not the player you build your team around he maybe he's not that good but i think we have a like you said a midfield partnership that's really doing well but let, let, let's just go through the team um you know gun played well in the cup um i think that's going to be his competition he's going to want to obviously win every game there um mm-hmm. give him a chance and, and set himself up to to be uh the successor if, if something were to happen alex mccarthy uh mccarthy of course got called up to the england squad um so i, I think he's going to retain that spot i have no issue with him being there uh, the the back four though um, you know Cedric, uh, you have any issues with him starting still, or do you still think he's the he's the best right back at the club? The problem I, I find with Cedric is that I think he knows that there's not that much competition for him. Maybe Stevens, but Stevens is not a natural right back. He's more of a central defender. But Cedric, he, he ha- he's a bit like Tadic. He has his games, and then you know he plays really really well, and then the next game he'll do nothing. It's just he's quite a frustrating player to watch because we know that he what he can do and what he's capable of but sometimes he just doesn't really show it but I I think if if Salamsa were to buy another player in January I would probably think it would be a right back personally yeah all right and then uh, th- that central defensive partnership Vestergaard and Hoot I think we we play Vestergaard every game right he's he's probably the one that doesn't change and you know Hoot from time to time we were talking before we started recording he's he's frustrating and he is Somebody who doesn't necessarily fill me with a ton of confidence. Um, you, you know he can pass. Uh, you know he's good on the ball, but you, you worry about him. Even yesterday, he there was one part where he decided to, you know, just dribble maybe one more time than I would have liked, and uh, mm-hmm. 
then and then and then pass it squarely across our own 18 yard box and it's like hey like what are you doing like i get yelled at for that you know on sundays what what are you yeah. <laughs> what are you doing um so i don't you have any issues with with him or would you like to see you know yeshida or bednarak be, be given a spot or do you think that that maybe that partnership is just working just fine um yeah, who, as you say, frustrating, good on the ball. Defensively, his awareness was a bit, you know, off yesterday. Benteke was left um, to Cedric or was for the McCarthy save in the stoppage time. Uh, who left Steve, left um, Benteke completely unmarked, which is, you know, criminal. But thankfully, McCarthy stepped up. Um, Stevens, uh, I'm not too sure about. When he first came into the squad, I thought he looked really, really good alongside Van Dyke. But maybe that's because Van Dyke was, you know, maybe looking, made him look more impressive because Van Dijk is, is a very good defender. Um, Yoshida, uh, age-wise, he's getting on a bit, but experience, um, I think, be, uh, with Vest- Vestergaard's cemented his place in the back four, so he's probably the first name on that lineup in central. Um, Bednarek had a good World Cup. He scored, a, he scored in Poland's only game and won man of the match for that game, and Bednarek's been really impressive. Yeah, and I'm not... Against yeah. Japan, even. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not too sure, you know, whether it's injuries or whether Hughes isn't a huge fan of him. But personally, why not give Bed- Vestergaard and Bednarek a go? I mean, uh, I mean, who? It, it wouldn't do the world of good for Hoot's confidence. But you know, some maybe in the next cup match, if we get if we get Bednarek and Yoshida out, or Bednarek and Stevens, if they impress, maybe they'll be able to push for a place in the starting eleven. Because I think Bednarek is, you know, since he started against Chelsea. He's been really impressive. Yeah, no, he he was the one that I think he got some blame in Poland for some of the goals that they conceded. You know, I, I don't know if you remember. I forget who they were mm-hmm. playing, but it was one of the teams from from Africa where the guy, the sub came on like middle. It wasn't even, uh, or not a sub, but the, the injured player came on during the run of play. And the first thing they did was just send it long and it was over his head and, mm-hmm. and he wasn't yeah. aware. And, you know, like, I don't think that's on him. I think that's a that's a that's a mistake maybe by the fourth official and the referee, um, and and I don't know I don't know I don't I don't want to that, that that was a long time ago but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe he gets a little bit of blame for that stuff but I think he he overall had a really good World Cup and I think he he's he's progressed a lot since since the beginning of last season when uh, I think our our first real introduction to him was uh, him playing in a back three against Wolves in the first round of the, or the second round of the Carabao Cup and just getting torn apart so um, yeah. You know, towards the end of last season, I think he really came on a bit, and and I think he he'll be he'll be fine. But we'll just have to watch and see, you know, if and when he 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 actually gets a few chances. Um, yeah. Spe- oh, so speaking of the World Cup, which France won, may I just mention? I just put that in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would I would make a comment, but the U.S. didn't play, so uh, <laughs> I'll just leave it, leave it there. Um, if you look at the 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 middle of the field now for, for the team, you have that partnership with Hoiberg and Lamine. Of course, Ho- Hoiberg missed out uh, midweek because of the uh, the red card, the the the, the double yellow uh, mm-hmm. red card accumulation. So, um, or whatever the heck it's called, I think I just botched that completely. But uh, anyway, he was out during the Carabao Cup. He's back for this. Um, do you have any issue with him coming straight back into the team? Because I said last week I didn't think he would that Hughes would be able to choose him because it was just kind of such a disastrous dive that it wasn't, uh, you know, that can't possibly be acceptable. And and you have to realize that you put your team in, in peril by doing that. Um, But Mm -hmm. Hughes obviously didn't agree with that and and thought that this was the the best partnership for uh, going out and trying to, to, trying to win a game. Um, Yeah. I think Lamina and um, Hoibia, what they offer is a very dynamic duo. You know, the thing with Romeo is he's good at breaking up the play, but Lamina can do that. The thing that Romeo, you know, Romeo's a bit of a destroyer in the midfield, but when it comes to passing or shooting or dribbling or whatever, he's not quite at the level that Lamina and Hoibjerg are. Um, so I think Lamina and Hoibjerg are very good together. You've also got Ward Prowse who can come on uh, set pieces, etc., etc., as we always say. Um, but yeah, Hoibjerg and Lamina, I don't have issues with that at all. I think that they're forming a very powerful duo. All right. I, I don't think there's any argument for having Elnusi and, and Redmond in there, uh, Ings either. The one thing I think that people had an issue with yesterday is you see Shane Long starting. Uh, you see Gabby Dini not even in the team on the team sheet in the, in, in the subs at least. Um, mm-hmm. People get worried. People don't like that. People and, and I think I said last week too that 
uh, Long serves a purpose in in this system. He he is the out ball. He is going to be the guy that runs in behind. Ings enjoys dropping deep and getting on the ball and and making a pass uh, from time to time. And and that's something that I don't think uh, a lot of our other strikers do. And um, I don't know. Do you have an issue with, with Long? And do you, or do you think that once again, maybe just like the Vestergaard Hoop partnership, that this is the one that works best in the system? Well, the thing with Long, we, we say it time and time again, the thing that he offers is work rate. He will press the defender. He'll run for the ball over the top. He won't give up. But there comes a time where, you know, that's just not good enough. You need a player to score. I mean, we've got Ings. Ings can do what Long can do. Ings is fast. He pressures defenders. Uh, Gabbiadini, I mean, we say duos. Partnerships need to be formed by playing together. And if Ings and Gabbiadini don't have a chance to play together... When, when the time comes that they have to play together, then, you know, it's not going to work because they haven't. So I think Ings and Gabbiadini could form a really good partnership. And we, you know, has Hughes forgotten that Gabbiadini was essentially the player who kept us up, uh, along with McCarthy, obviously. But Gabbiadini did score that goal against Swansea. So I think Ings and Gabbiadini should be a partnership that should be experimented with, you know, soon. I mean, are we, are we willing to allow Hughes time to, to try that? And do you think that, I mean... I don't know how much influence like we actually have over, over the manager. He probably doesn't care what we think. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to be that type of of person. And I really hope he's not because he's the manager and we're not. But um, Mm -hmm. you know, if he puts out that team and it doesn't work, how long does he give it before he goes like, we have to change this because points are, you know, at a, at a premium really. Um, I mean, if he keeps, you know, chopping, changing his tactics, that doesn't give us confidence because that tells, that gives us the impression that, you know, he he doesn't know what his best lineup is, like we thought at the start of the season where he changed the formation. It seems to be working more now, but you know, we're gonna need more than goals from Ings to um to find goals. We're gonna need long to score goals, we're gonna need midfielders to score goals. Um so long has to start finding the net because your job as a striker is to score goals. Um so I think, you know, we can keep going with this, but long does need to, you know, find the goal a lot more often than he has recently yeah yeah absolutely absolutely all right well, well just kind of jumping into to some of the things that, that and, and kind of jumped out at me at the game you know we're sitting mid-table at this point i still think it's way too early to even consider where we are in the table but uh, we've played burnley at home who was coming off of a trip to i think turkey at that point mm-hmm. um yeah we we played everton away uh, we played mm-hmm. a, a vardy uh lester um yeah uh, and Amara's list, Lester as well. And then an Azaha list, yeah. Palace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, have we been let off the hook a little bit? Have we, have we, I mean, it's fairly easy ish start to the season, correct? Um, yeah. Looking at the fixture list, you know, before the season started, I was like, yeah. So, so how many, that would have been four games. Burnley at home, we knew it would be a tough game because we know what Burnley are like. Um, but I thought, you know, tired legs, tired in general. Coming back from Turkey, you know, we had chances. A draw, not the end of the world, but, you know, we could have won that game. Uh, against Everton, okay, Everton, defensive issues there. Um, conceded two poor goals, um, lost that game. Leicester should have won that game. If Hoybjerg, I'm not going to put all the blame on Hoybjerg because Hoybjerg, until then, had a decent game. But Hoybjerg sending off made life much much harder for Saints. And then... The goal that Maguire scored at the end was so easily avoidable. It, it went through two defenders. You know, Vestergaard could have easily blocked it. But yeah, it is. It's it's too early to start talking about relegation problems. The win against Palace would have, you know, it would have been a massive relief on the shoulders of the players and the management as well. But I think mid-table is where we should be looking. We should be looking, you know, mid-table. Um, just keep playing each game week in week out, and then we should take it from there. Yeah. And I mean, the next run of games, so I, it, looking at the schedule, it looks like there's another break, uh, kind of the middle of October. And mm-hmm. between now and then, uh, of course, we have the week off this week for, for international stuff. But um, uh, we come back and play Brighton uh, on the 17th. Then we go away to Liverpool, then away to Everton for the, for the, the Carabao Cup, away to Wolves, and then home to Chelsea before we have another uh, break. So that run of games is, you know... Those- yeah, those that, are tough games. Yeah, and and now so you look there's a little bit of pressure on the Brighton game uh to to pick something up because we're at home. 
Um, we've already beaten them in the, in the cup and you, you obviously the, the team has heavily changed, but you, you would hope that we could do that again. Mm-hmm. And then I think if you just get a point away at, at Liverpool or, or Wolves, you'll be happy. Um, and then I, I hate to say it, but kind of the same thing for Chelsea. You kind of just hope you, you know, if you can get a draw at home, which is never really what you want, but that would be, uh, acceptable, especially cause they look like they're playing pretty well, you know, just, just reading some of the things that I've, that I've read and looking at the highlights. So, uh, we'll have, yeah, to, I'd, I'd, we'll have to see over the next. Over the next four games, I would be happy. I would, I mean, one of them is a cup game, as you say, but over the next league games, I'd be happy with four points, maybe. Yeah. Brighton, Brighton would probably be, you know, not a six pointer, but it would be a game that we would probably have to win. And then I can't really see us getting anything against Liverpool, no. nor against Chelsea. So, you know, we're going to have to maybe a draw against Wolves because Wolves are playing really, really good football. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that Brighton game is going to be a really pivotal moment, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but hey, we have we have a couple of weeks to 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 until we have to worry about that, I guess. Um, yeah. Now, yesterday during the game, there were some moments that I thought were, I don't know, I don't want to say pivotal, but uh, they that were uh, important, I think, because we we went through some of the first half uh, right out of the gate. We came out strong, and I think that's something that they had been working on from previous weeks, mm-hmm. where we started slow, had a bad first half. We came out last week against Leicester and played much better, but still kind of couldn't finish the game, you know, um, and, and 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 fell a little bit short at the end. And I think this week they they kind of it looks like they focused on 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 finishing the game, but they came out, they started strong, and Sako just looked like he wasn't quite paying attention. That, just yeah. yeah, and that was a, a really a real mess uh, right 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 at the beginning. You know, nothing came of it, but. Um, one of the things that jumped out at me is, is, is right away the third minute of the game, um, the cross comes in to Benteke and who's guarding him at the back post, but it's Cedric. And yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same thing we've seen. We got away with it yesterday. He did just enough on another, uh, on another ball that came into the box where he kind of like got tangled up with one of the, the offensive players and did just enough to put him off. But, um, you know, that, that, worries me we got away with it but is it something we need to worry about going forward or is it is is part of what Cedric has to do is learn how to defend um you know balls in the air I mean on another day Benteke could have probably got two goals three goals but no I mean marking Benteke I think Vestergaard and who would have been personally instructed to mark him because Cedric I don't know how tall he is but Cedric against Benteke is a mismatch they shouldn't be anywhere near each other on the pitch let alone in the box so I think that's down to I think it was Hoots at the time. I think that's down to Hoots' lack of spatial awareness and, you know, just lack of concentration as well. Um, but no, we were fortunate that Benteke had a very, very off day yesterday. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it, I think we got lucky but with him. I think he was, uh, you know, if you were an ironic man of the match, it might have been him because he, he probably mm. had several chances to, to, to put it away. Um, one of the things that I, I liked from us is at one point we had a, a ball from Hoot that got played out um, a long diagonal, I think, over to Cedric. Um, the ball then came in into the box to, uh, and Long won the header and, and was able to get it down. Um, you know, we, we couldn't get a shot off. The ball got kind of recycled and Long finally had a shot blocked. But like that was about the 20th minute. And that was really, to me, uh, other than that, that kind of initial flurry in front of the in front of goal, like that was really the, the best kind of run of play that we had in the match. And it was nice to see us kind of be able to control the game a little bit and create some passes. And it looked like um, what we what we tried to do several times yesterday is is uh, is make that long kind of diagonal switch to create space for our attackers to run into. Um, and I was really kind of impressed with that. And 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 I think that relies heavily on on the fullbacks getting forward, um, and, and that relies also on on Redmond and, and El Nusi to be able to. Uh, uh, you know, beat a defender and actually and put a ball in the box from time to time. So um, I, I don't know, like other than that, like what, what was your overall kind of thoughts on the first half as we went in nil nil? Yeah. I mean, it was encouraging the fact that we were, that we had, con- we had control of possession and that we had, you know, we restricted Palace to maybe one or two um, attempts. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good seeing that we have multiple routes to get in behind, you know, via the long ball, via, you know, some ping pong passing, but, um, but yeah, I think it's encouraging that we have, that we do have the ball, but in future, we're going to have to make sure that we do a lot more with it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When we went into halftime, um, possession stats and things like that. I mean, we were 65% possession, uh, in the first half, 
And, you know, I, I don't know. We had, we had, it says according to the stats, 10 attempts, but only one of them on target. So like, like you said, not nearly as, as clinical there as we, as we needed to be. Um, and, and palace had had five attempts and only one of those was on target. So neither team really creating, uh, clear chances, I guess, or, or really, really troubling mm-hmm. either keeper. But, um, you felt, I think going into halftime that we played a, a decent half of football and that it, it hopefully was something we we're going to be able to build on. And, and in my mind, this is where we were focusing on, you know, we've played one good half and this is all we've ever gotten out of a, of a game so far this, this season where we played, managed to play one good half in each kind of game. And now it was, are we going to be able to, to come out and play that way in the second? And, and, and we did, I mean, right yeah. away we came out, um, Cedric put that ball over. I don't know why their defender didn't head it away. And I don't exactly know what happened to long. Cause long seemed to go down hurt after that. I think he mm-hmm. got elbowed or something like that, but um, you know, and Ings just like you said uh, earlier, that instinct that he has just to, to be in the right place at the right time to take that, to, to go with the shot that he went with and, and not have to smash it and just place it into the net. And, and, and give us some confidence and give us you know, some belief, I guess that, that we, uh, we do have the ability and we do have the talent and we do have the, uh, the quality to be able to, to go out and win matches. Yeah. I mean, with the first goal, there was that element of luck as to what the palace defenders were do, were trying to do. And then, yeah, Ings just there. He could easily have missed it. Could have gone wide, hit the post, whatever, but no, he was really c- composed. Um, just to slide the ball through Hennessy's legs. And yeah, I mean, um, hopefully it's something that we see more often because he really seems to be, you know, on the ball, when he's thinking, he's really got that striker's instinct as to which position to be in, what to do when he has the ball. And yeah, and it was a good ball by Cedric as well. So yeah, that, that they all deserve credit for that one. Yeah, yeah. That, that to me, I mean, I was, I was obviously very excited when that ball went in. And a lot of times that ball gets headed away right away or, you know, comes, goes through to the goalkeeper and nothing comes of it. But uh, when, it, when it comes off like that, that was... Uh, it seemed to be, it seemed to justify kind of everything that had happened before that, you know, and, and to see us do it so early in the, in the second half, uh, I thought was really, uh, obviously a good thing cause you were ahead. So, um, shortly after that, there was a little bit of a, a goal mouse scramble where Cedric, you know, I understand Cedric getting beaten in the air by Ben Teke. I, you know, that, mm-hmm. I almost expect that because like, like we said, that's a huge mismatch and it shouldn't happen, but Ben Teke managed to dribble past Cedric, uh, right on the edge of the area at one point. And uh, it led to kind of a scramble in, in the in the box, and and to me that that can't happen to Cedric. Like Cedric needs to be able to defend on the ground uh, against a guy mm-hmm. who's not necessarily quick, um, who I wouldn't necessarily uh, classify as a you know it's not Eden Hazard beating you on the dribble. It's it's Christian yeah. Benteke, and that shouldn't happen. But nothing came of it. We managed to get the ball clear, and then, then kind of the next thing that happens is is the penalty decision um, after Austin comes on, and. Um, you know, handball. I think it's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. What What do you think about the decision for for Austin to to take that after being on the pitch for just a few minutes? I don't think I can complain as to Austin taking it because I think as penalty takers go, um, he's one of the better ones. But the thing that I the issue that I had was why not let someone who's fresh take it, like maybe Ings or something like that, because he'd been on the pitch for a while. And Austin, you know, he'd only just come on, so maybe his legs wouldn't have been as you know as um, ready for it but I, it, it was a terrible penalty and you know thankfully on another day it might have cost us thankfully it didn't um so yeah we hopefully we'll look ahead to the next one if he takes the next one and score the next one i mean i think we all know that last year it seemed to be like tadich was the designated penalty taker and i know there were at a couple points some arguments between tadich and austin over who was going to take the penalty and things like that and it's obvious that Austin likes to take them, but I don't know. Like, yeah, sometimes you just think like maybe, maybe it would have been better for somebody who's been on the pitch for a while to, to take it. But if he's the designated guy, if he's the guy who's supposed to take it, he takes it. Um, he essentially just rolled it up there, which was uh, pretty, pretty uh, pathetic to be honest. But uh, mm-hmm. if it goes in, we don't care. Uh, but, it, but he missed it. And, and at that point, my heart sank a little bit, you know, and, it, mm-hmm. and it, I, I realized at that point that, you know, the momentum might swing some people say that that palace has this good atmosphere that the fans are always, uh, you know, they're right on the pitch and they're, they're behind the team and it's loud. And, and I think I thought I was, I was worried at that point. And I don't know how you felt when that, when we missed that penalty, but I thought that it might really um, cost us the match or it cost us at least two points. You know, I was, I was sort of thinking, Oh, here we go again. This is it. It started again, hasn't it? Sort of moment. Because, you know, we had the chance and even 
yeah, we had that chance. We had chances after. I was like, yeah, this is def- this this could if we draw this, I'm going to be really upset because we had we had chances to make it two nil, three nil before we actually did. But yeah, it, it was that feeling of okay, this is going to be a tough last few minutes because the fans are going to be energized, the momentum's going to be with Palace, you know. Um, it's just you know it, it, we don't, we all thought it would only go downhill from there. Yeah, I, I mean, in the last kind of uh, few minutes of of the match, I think the second half that missed penalty kind of opened the game up because I think it gave Palace a little bit of belief as well, and they came kind of pouring forward, and it gave us the opportunity to uh, to go and attack. You know, some of the changes we made, uh, Long had to come off injured and Austin came on. And that was part of the reason that he was on the pitch to to take the penalty. We brought on Matt Target uh, for El Nusi. Uh, and eventually we brought on Romeo for Ings. And I think we we kind of changed up the formation a little bit. But it looked like Target was kind of playing, uh, you know, on the wing, essentially, uh, whether it was as, as a wing back or or just a part of the midfield. I, I'm not I'm not exactly sure. Um, but you know, he eventually is the one who plays that ball in for Hoiberg, who who manages to to make the run and and kind of squeeze the last little bit of juice out of the legs and 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 score the 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 stoppage time kind of just to seal it, I guess. Um, mm. But, but do you have any issues with with the kind of the the tactics that were brought on, or or do you think that that was the right thing to do and and bringing on essentially another defender uh, and a guy just to kind of hold up play in the middle of the field? I I thought we switched. Honestly, I thought we switched back to a a back three with, 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 with wing backs at some point. Yeah, I think, yeah, so what I think would have happened was maybe more defensive, so Target would have gone to left wing back, um, Bertrand would have tucked into the left centre back role, and then you got Vestergaard and Hoot, you got Cedric on the right, and then you have the three midfielders of um, Lamino, Romeo, and Hoybjerg, and then you got Austin up front uh, with Redmond. Redmond, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, that that was probably switching to the the five three two or the three five two that we had been familiar with in all preseason. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, um, Palace attacking, and then we had the width of you know Hoot finding target left relatively unmarked, quite out wide, and then just Hoybjerg in the middle on his own running in on goal. Um, yeah, uh, it was. Um, the, I think those were good tactics. You know, you have to go defensive uh, at a certain point in the game to try and shut out the. The Crystal Palace attack, and I think it was the uh, the right choice at the time. The most important thing for me in that situation is everybody seems to be aware of what's happening, and it was pretty clear the the roles that people were slotted into. Bertrand is 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 comfortable in that left center back role, um, and when Hoot was able to find Target, um, you just hope Target doesn't have the the most pace in the world, and he, and it was nice that he got his head up soon enough and and spotted the run and just the pass almost didn't have enough on it, you know, and he almost left it just a mm-hmm. little bit short. Um, but, uh, you know, Hoiberg was able to get there and then, you know, all those finishing drills that we see over and over in practice that mm-hmm. it looked like yeah. that exact, you know, like he had done this a thousand times before in practice over the past, you know, however many weeks and months where, um, you got to get in front of the defender, you got to, you, you know, and drew the keeper out just enough and then put it away. And it was like, when that went in, like kind of, I don't know, a huge, a huge sigh of relief from me here in my house. And, and I don't mm. know how you felt, but I, I, I imagine that every Southampton fan just kind of went like, all right, we're over the line. Like this is it. Um, and, and you allow yourself to kind of then be positive about the, some of the performances and things like that, that I think we, you know, had we drawn that game somehow, the, I think we ignore a lot more of the, of the positive things that came out of it simply because, you know, we didn't get the result, but I think the result, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe that's unfair, but I think the the result um, definitely allows us to to look at some of the positives and recognize that yeah, Cedric still had to defend Benteke at the back post a couple of times. Benteke missed a couple of headers. We still have things to work on, but overall, um, we're definitely moving in the right direction. Oh yeah, hundred percent. We're definitely getting to um, we're definitely getting to the sort of the sort of play that we can you know go into games being a bit more confident, thinking that we can win them now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, I mean, anything else that kind of jumps out to you. I mean, I, the only thing that I, I really have to emphasize is that, is that Benteke and IU were terrible, um, on the day. IU especially. They, yeah. yeah it, they had chances and, and, um, you know, not having Zaha, I think definitely hurt palace. And that, that, I mean, it goes without saying almost, but, um, I, I was, I was saying earlier before we got, when we got cut off and I don't think I made it on there, but like 
I was at a fantasy football draft yesterday, uh, American football. Mm -hmm. And, and some of the things that you, that people look for, if if they're really into it is, you know, maybe you want that, that, you know, elite level, uh, tight end or whatever it is, but really like the, what you were looking for is if you can't get him, like, what's the difference between like him and the next guy? Like how many points are you going to lose in there? Like, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and to make that drop from Zaha to IU is huge. Like, you know, yeah. if we go from Ings to Austin, that, that drop isn't maybe, maybe so big, you know, but if you have to go from, from Zaha or to, down to, to IU, that's, that's just a massive letdown. And, and, uh, it just, it didn't, it doesn't translate. They, they couldn't, they couldn't cope with that. And, and we maybe got a, a bit fortunate in that we've played a, like we said, a, a, a Vardy less Lester, uh, Zaha less palace. But I think you, you gotta, you gotta, you have to beat the teams that's in front of you. And in the fact that, that we were able to do that and take those points, um, at an away match in the premier league, I think that is, uh, uh overall a huge positive, mm, especially considering the, you know, another day, Southwest park is one of the toughest places to go to. Yeah. So that's yeah. been really good as well. That's really good as well. It's, um, you know, as a, as an American fan looking at some of the, places to to go and actually you know places you want to see sure you know uh maybe you want to go to the emirates just because it's this big kind of glorious stadium and things like that but you know really you know selhurst park even goodison park where any of these mm. places where you're you're sitting kind of on the pitch that's that's what you want that's what you want to experience that's what i think um in my mind and i think maybe possibly some of the other uh american fans like that that's what the english football is kind of kind of looks like you know Mm. Um, my brother is a QPR fan. So when we watch, uh, games, uh, there it's, uh, it's or on TV when they you know were televised, when they were in the premier league, that uh, that looks like a, like just a, a nice place to go and, and kind of experience the thing. Not necessarily football is mm-hmm. always going to be great or that it's going to be comfortable, but it, that that's the atmosphere that you, you kind of want. So, um, yeah, it, it's nice to be able yeah. to go there and, and get a win. Oh yeah. It's, it's also, I think the smaller, sort of tighter stadiums for players are slightly more nerve wracking than larger stadiums like London Stadium, Emirates, Old Trafford, Stafford Bridge, Etihad, you know, stadiums like stadiums like that where it doesn't feel like the fans are too close, you know. Um, it, it, it definitely relieves a lot of pressure, I think, from the players knowing that the fans aren't too close. But when the fans are right at you, like Selhurst Park, you know, it can be quite nerve wracking for the players, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. well, it's, it's got to be completely different than walking into, you know, the, the Bernabeu or something like that, where you could yeah. be overawed by the occasion, but to walk into, you know, that where you're trying to take a throne and they can touch you, you know, like mm-hmm. that is, that's, that's gotta be nerve wracking. And I forget who I was talking to yesterday, but they said, they said next time somebody goes to take a corner or, um, or throw in, just look at the, look at the fans behind them and look what they're, mm-hmm doing and saying, try to read their lips. And it's like, yeah, people are right there and right on them. And it's, they're, they're definitely hurling abuse. I don't care if it's a, if it's a 10 year old kid or an 85 year old lady, like they are, they are giving it to them. And I think that's mm-hmm. great. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for the atmosphere. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I, I wanted to point out is I put on my notes. I sometimes tend to take the, the stats. If I can get them from the official kind of premier league uh, TV broadcast, I will just kind of screen clip it real quick and, and put it in there. And if I can't do that, I often just grab it from um, this. If I, if I kind of go out of full screen, cause I watch everything on my laptop, if I go out of full screen. There's usually like a, the stats box kind of on the side of the screen. Um, and yesterday they were so far off from one another um, in one particular um, aspect. And that was, that was, that was shots on target. So uh, both of them have 20 and 19 shots per, per team. Uh, but then one of them has, uh, 13 shots on target per team. And I was like, man, that seems like a lot, you know, that doesn't seem right. Uh, and then you go down and, and the other, the premier league official stats list six attempts on target per team. And I don't know, like I, I tend to, to trust stats. I tend to look at them, but that just made me go like, this is a joke. Like I, who knows like what, you know, how many times have I quoted the stats from one particular place where, uh, we're off by, by more than double, you know, but anyway, yeah. I'm not really sure why I'm talking about that now, but I am. That's oh, Um, yeah. I don't know. Is, is there anything else that kind of stands out to you about, about, uh, the, either the match or, or the team, the season up until this point that you want to make sure we talk about? No, I think everything's covered for now. All I right. think, uh, we did get one question from Instagram and I'm not a hundred percent sure that we, uh, we need to go into it, but it basically says like, 
Uh, it's from Matthew Dewey. Uh, it says, will we stay up this season? And uh, if so, how many points do you think we will finish with? And I'm not sure I can answer that. Uh, I think we are, based on this performance, we play like we did yesterday. Um, we will lose some disappointing games because we will concede headers and things like that that we shouldn't. But overall, I think the performance is good enough to, to be mid-table, like you said. Uh, is, is that kind of what you, what you think that we are capable of? Or do you think that uh, there's a chance we could we could still go down, and obviously maybe it's still too early probably to say that. Um, I think mid table is probably the rea- the realistic sort of expectation. I think um, you know you look at other teams. I think there are other teams that are not you know not quite on the level that Southampton. I think Cardiff and Huddersfield are two teams that you know stick out as teams that as teams that are favourites to go down. Um, you know Palace. If anything was to happen to Zaha, you know they're in huge trouble. But for now, it's, it is too early to tell. I think you can probably tell after maybe 10, 15 games, you know, who's going to go, who's, you know, looking likely. But as we, we thought we were, you know, all right at some moments, and then we were really, you know, we got out of it through the skin of our teeth. So we're just going to have to wait and see. I hope we don't have to, you know, go to the last day and have to get a win. Um, but I think we'll be okay. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see. I do have one other thing here. Um, Simon Peach yesterday tweeted, uh, Southampton fans tuning to match of the day for the first time in a while. Um, the win at Crystal Palace makes this just the third weekend in 2018 that the Saints have won a Premier League match. Like, mm-hmm. and, and not that we only have that many wins because, of course, the, the, the Swansea win was midweek. But, I mean, only three weekends in, in I mean, I didn't realize that. I knew that it had be, been somewhat disappointing. And I've talked about a lot of losses and a lot of a lot of disappointing draws on on the show, but uh, yeah, to only have the 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 third weekend where we actually had a win, like no wonder yesterday was so good outside of <laughs> outside of the match. I, yeah. I was in a much better mood yesterday. Yeah, it'd been a while since I'd watched match of the day as well. Um, but yeah, the three three weekends. That's it, it, only when you really think about it, you think you know how is that possible? Yeah, you know? yeah, and how is but, that possible that and we still somehow managed to stay up? You know. Exactly. It's, but, it's crazy. But yeah. All right. Well, uh, I don't know if, they, if, if we don't have anything. I think we kind of made it all the way through the game and, um, and we talked about loan we talked about, uh, kind of all that stuff. So I think, I think looking forward, uh, obviously the international break is ahead of us. So we'll have to see who, who, who comes back healthy that they think that's the biggest concern for me always when they go out and you hope they play well and, uh, yeah, they hope they come back and are, are fired up to, to get that win against Brighton at home and, and then kind mm-hmm. of kick on from there. Yeah, let's hope so. All right. Well, uh, we will make sure and, and talk again soon. And I hope the the coverage of Eastleigh goes well for you. And uh, once you. university starts, I hope that all goes well. But uh, I know you have to get into Central London to uh, to work. How long does that take you from where you're at right now? About forty minutes, something like that. On the train. Yeah. Nice easy ride, or a bunch of changes. Uh, a couple of changes, but it's nothing too drastic. My my one uh, experience trying to get across London at rush hour. Um, was insane i uh it was mm. a total mistake for me but i will i've learned and i will never do that again but yeah uh, it's not it, for me it's not too rush hour it's sort of because i leave at 4 15 you know it's quite it's fairly busy but not too too busy but yeah it's, it's not that bad it's it's all right last last i think it was on friday friday i was working and um they they had to close the line by my last stop to get to the place that i normally work at Okay. Because there was an there was an incident, so you know from there to work it would be half an hour to walk, um, and this is central. This is um, sort of Buckingham Palace Green Park area. Okay. So it takes thirty minutes to walk from there to work. But what I did was I got I had to get an Uber from okay. there to work, and the traffic was so heavy. Like what, my side was all right, but the other side was so heavy. You wonder why do you drive in central London? Yeah, yeah. No, when we were there, we. We were at the Elephant and Castle station, so it was like we, oh, were, yeah. we were. It was easy to get on and off. That was no problem. But you go, you know, one or two stops, and then the the station is just insane. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I remember trying to get on a couple of those places with the kids, and it was just like just hold them tight and you know go through and stop stop trying to pick stuff up off the ground. To my daughter, yeah. who thinks everything that's shiny is is valuable, um, so <laughs> it was uh, it was a good time. But I, you know, yeah. Uh, Buckingham Palace. It looks nice from the outside. Um, that, mm. that, that's what I saw of it. it. It was raining, and we got out of there. Yeah, 
<laughs> but uh yeah well have have a good day man and, and good luck at work and, and i look forward to, to maybe following along the match reports at easley thank you i'll see you soon thank right. you thank you yeah bye-bye that does it for this episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Alex Hammond, my guest. Uh, he's at St. Hammond on Twitter. Be sure to follow him if you are not doing it already. And if you're an Eastleigh FC supporter, uh, say hi to him next time you're around the field. Um, he's the guy down there with a the camera, or he's one of them. I, I don't know. He's got a camera or a computer or whatever. Just know that they're working really hard and they're doing good work. Uh, So give them some support uh, because that stuff is hard uh, and important. This show is partnered with the Southampton page. They're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And it's where I go for most of my Southampton content. So uh, get there, uh, stay up to date with what's going on on the team. Uh, They're a great follow on Twitter. They have lots of great images and things on Instagram. Uh, the analysis is there. They'll be keeping you up to date with what's going on during the international break as well. Um, I probably won't be doing as much because, like I said, I'll be in Kansas. Although I may have cut that out of the beginning of the show, um, but I'm telling you now, I won't be here. Anyway, the artwork for the show is done by Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Uh, Matt has been a guest on the show. He's been a huge help to the show. Uh, he is just a, a fantastic guy. He attends a lot of the games. Um, He really is great. So follow him along. It's the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Now, the links to all of those things that I mentioned are in the show notes. Uh, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. All music for this episode comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. And the end of show credits that you're listening to right now is Aim is True by Pottington Bear. You can follow along with this show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at SFCDELL underscore IVERY. We're at Facebook.com forward slash SFCDelivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, ACAST, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and if you already do that, why not leave a review? It really helps. And until next time, remember that together, we march on.